If you're visiting, we're glad that you're here today. We are looking at the book of Mark. We're in the second chapter. We're actually going to hit the third chapter a little bit today. And the reason that we're studying the book of Mark is it is one of four Gospels. But it is the Gospel probably of Peter. And uh, Mark is the secretary. He's writing it. But the great thing about Mark's Gospel is he is pointing us to the person of Christ and his work. We don't see a lot of his teaching already, but we see his authority and we see his power. Now, as we come to our text, um, let me say this to you. Christianity is about Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished on our behalf. Think, think about it this way. Think if there's no Jesus Christ that ever came and we live in the world and the world would pretty much, for the most part, be in darkness because the world's religions are based on what you do, what your efforts are. But what we're, we're teaching and preaching is it's a gospel. It's not good advice. It's good news that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who lived on our behalf, was crucified and raised from the dead. Now, if that's true, now I just want you to think for a minute, if that's true, I don't care where you're coming from, if that's true, then it matters to everybody in this room. You you can't be ambivalent about Jesus Christ. Now, C.S. Lewis puts it this way, and for y'all that don't know C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis was an atheist, and he came to Christ, I think, in his 30s. He said that he was the most reluctant uh, convert in all of England. But he had thought about a lot of things and for the longest time was an atheist. But he really began to take, make, make serious inquiry about who this person, Jesus Christ, is. And he says this, and you've heard this quote before, probably. He says, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him for a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I think he's right about that. But as we come to hear the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ, it's good news. There's hope. Now, I want you to turn to our text today. Now, there's three different uh, pictures I want us to see of Christ. I know it's a long text. But as people begin to figure out who he is and what he's saying, there's all kind of reactions. There are people who want to follow And there are people who are absolutely opposing. And maybe you're one today who really opposes this reality of the resurrection of Christ because that has all kinds of implications on where you're headed in the future. And for us who say that we believe this, the good news is that God will begin to work in and through us through Jesus Christ, not through the law, not through good works, but by the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's look at the different reactions to who Jesus is and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Now, I believe this is the inerrant Word of God. And for a moment, if you struggle with that, use your imagination. 
This is God's word. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do, you, your, do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples don't fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. And for no one that sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, if he does, the patch tears away, and the new from the old, and his worst tear is made. And no one puts into new, new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But the new wine is for fresh wineskins. On the Sabbath day, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read that David, what David did when he was in need and he was hungry, and he and those who were with him, and he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and so also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them, with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, out his hand and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, in the moments we have before we come to the Lord's table, we ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit, that scriptures apart from illumination are just revelation and kind of meaningless to us. But Lord, we cannot hear apart from your grace and we cannot see because we are by nature, according to Jesus, blind. And so, Lord, we ask that every eye today, by your grace, every ear would be unstopped. That men and women might know the power of forgiveness through our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. sure that many of you have heard the expression, uh, you are missing the forest because of the trees. You ever heard that expression? Probably said that many, many times. As I, as I, I just kind of looked up the phrase. I always interested, where do these phrases come from? And actually, as I looked it up, uh, it has the opposite intent of what we tend to think it means. Now, what we think it means, right, is you, you kind of, you're getting lost in the details. Uh, you can't see, you can't see the, the forest because of the trees. You're getting lost in the weeds, and so you need to kind of see the big picture. 
And we talked about that several weeks ago when I talked about blueprints and knowing the top page and the top page is about Jesus Christ. If you want to know what the Bible is about, it's about Jesus Christ. But here's what it actually means. And here's kind of the, the, the little quote I've got here. It says this. It's the opposite. You only see the big picture, the forest, and not see the details, the actual special tree. Or that special tree is right in front of you, but you can only see all of the trees lumped together. And you cannot see the beauty and the details, this amazing tree, because you only see the big picture. Kind of interesting. It's just an opposite way of looking at it. You're missing the, you're missing the details because of the big picture. Now, for y'all that are visiting or y'all that aren't that familiar with Presbyterians, we pride ourselves on having the big picture, don't we? Uh, you can go to John uh, uh, Larson's uh, theology class on Tuesdays because we think it's very important that if God has a view of the world, probably if he's really real and true and the God that you can know, then it's probably a good idea to start figuring out what his ideas are about things, right? About baptism and economics, how you should treat your neighbor, what marriage should be like, and I could go on and on and on. But let me tell you, what would be a scary thing to do is know all the, the big picture but you never know the actual tree who's the tree of life, who is Jesus Christ. It is one thing to see that Jesus is the point of the Bible, but it is quite another thing to see him as the point of your personal life. And that's the big difference. And I want you to think about that as we go through this text I want to remind you again of what Martin Luther said. He said, Christianity is a religion of the possesses. In other words, we talk about this a lot, but it's one thing to call Jesus the creator, the redeemer, the savior, but it's quite a different thing to say, my creator, my redeemer, and my savior. And when it, when it gets to that point, you're not asking the question, what are the, uh, what are the requirements? I mean, how much do I have to do to be a Christian? I mean, uh, what's the requirement here? No, 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 because, because meeting Christ the way the Apostle Paul did, you say, now, how can I serve him? How can I, how can I know and, and, and make him known to others? It would indeed be sad. Miss the ultimate tree in the midst of the forest to see the big picture without being part of the big picture on the positive side. Now, here's a question. Yeah, I'm sure, I mean, every Sunday, every Sunday I'm so thankful. We have a lot of y'all, a lot of people here aren't Christians. We don't want our doors to be open. We have people struggling with all kinds of different things. Matter of fact, I've talked to a lot of people here recently who are beginning to question if Christianity is true at all. They've been a redeemer for quite some time and they're still trying to wrestle with, is this stuff really true? Because you see, Mark's going to call us to discipleship. He's going to say, if this is true and Christ goes to the cross on your behalf, then when he comes into your life, he calls us to a cross. And you know what? I'm proud of you young people trying to make up your mind whether you're going to go one way or the other with it. So, let me tell you, though, that I think what it means to be a Christian is Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, a Christian is a man or a woman who is dominated by the kingdom of God. You eat, think, drink, and breathe the kingdom of God. 
And, and that doesn't mean you're a good person. Matter of fact, a lot of times, eat, thinking, drinking, breathing, the kingdom of God is going, Lord, would you still accept me? And he's like, well, of course, I'm your king. I'm your, I'm, I, I serve you. And I'll continue to serve you, and I want you to serve me. And so here's, here's the three things I want to see in each one of these segments that are here. Uh, if, as to whether you're discovering the, the beauty of the details of who Jesus is, okay? Not just, ah, yeah, Jesus Christ, Son of God, raised from the dead, triune God, and et cetera, et cetera. But it has no net sum game effect in your life and in your relationships with your husbands and your wives and your children and how you do business and how, how you do everything, right? Because we have God in the person of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, in the flesh, living out before us exactly what it means as to how we should live once we're united to him. And so here's the three points I want us to look at. And uh, here's the first point. is you, uh, you have discovered him as desirable to be with. He's not a burden. Number two, you will discover that in him you have ultimate rest. He is, he is the rest. He is the Sabbath rest. I mean, how many of y'all are resting? I'll tell you what, if you're not a Christian... You're not resting. And, uh, and whatever it is you're resting in that you might feel comfortable with now, that could all be taken away just like that, right? And then the third thing to see is uh, you'll have discovered him as the most genuine person you've ever met. I, I can tell you, as much as I love my elder friends and my wife and my children and my brothers and pastors I've admired, seminary professors, you know what? I have never, ever encountered someone like Jesus Christ. And we'll see that. So what's the first thing to see? Well, uh, if you're seeing him up close, you've discovered him as desirable to be with. Now that's what we're going to see in this first section this here, uh, in verses uh, 18 uh, through 22. Uh, but let me give you context. Um, beginning of the chapter, Jesus heals a paralytic. And he claims very clearly that not only can I heal a paralytic, I can heal you of your sins. Blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus says that you might know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He heals this guy. Well, rather than seeing the healing, all of a sudden there's opposition by the religious uh, group, the Pharisees, and they're ready uh, to come after him. And then last week we looked at the section right, right after the healing of the paralytic. He calls a tax collector named Levi who we said, and I can't preach that sermon over again, well, they were the despised. They were Jews taken from Jews to give to Romans who oppressed them. They were hated. They were despised. And Jesus calls him. And one thing we talked about last week is that then I don't care what your life's been like. I don't care how screwed up you are. I'll tell you what, when you hear the call of God, you're coming. On the other hand, if you're a religious person and you're doing fine, you're a middle-class uh, Christian and you're not really that bad, really not that good, you're not as bad as some people, he, he's never calling you because you've got enough. And so, so he calls Levi, who ends up being Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, and they're having this great big party with a bunch of sinners. And uh, the Pharisees are like, I, this, this is just unhighted. Do you not know who you're eating with? Except he, he didn't say it to Jesus. They said it to his friends, right, disciples. And Jesus said, look, I didn't come into the world for the, the healthy. I came into the world for the sick. So if you're sick today and you're sick of your sin and you're sick of your duplicity, then the gospel's for you. But it's not for you if you're sick and tired of everybody else. If you're mad at everybody else. This happened, that happened. 
I'm just telling you, you, you don't get the gospel. You've never met Jesus. He comes to people and goes, Lord, would you have mercy upon me? He said, that's exactly who I'm calling. And so now we come to our text today, and we see him at a, you know, apparently he's at, a, at another party, and man, they're bothered by the fact that uh, he's always like having, seems to be having a good time, right? At least those around him are. He knew what he had to deal with. And so what you have here is really interesting. You have the Pharisees, you have the disciples of John, and then you have the multitude, and you have the disciples of Jesus, and you have Jesus. And so, so what you'll discover throughout the rest of the gospel, people are coming around him all the time. They're observing who he is, okay? But what's very interesting is uh, that it was the multitude that actually asked the question. They're going, hey, look, we're looking at, uh, we're looking at your disciples and you, and we're looking at John the Baptist, and we're looking at all the Pharisees. And you know what? They seem to be a whole lot more religious than you guys. You guys seem like y'all were kind of having fun. And, uh, but these guys, they seem to be a whole lot more serious. Uh, they're a whole lot more committed to, to whatever it is they're committed to, right? That's, and that, by the way, that's the majority of people. <laughs> majority gets kind of out there observing. But, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, they're asking, what's up with this? And then Jesus answers them. You know how he answers them? He said, let me tell you why there's a party going on. Because I'm here. Now, I'm going to tell you, before Jesus Christ came into the world, from the time of Adam to the time of Christ, there's nothing but misery. And I'll tell you this, if you have no gospel truth, if you're trying to be a good person, you're trying to do this and that and the other, and there is no Jesus Christ, there is no bridegroom, I can tell you that you're an unhappy person. I can just tell you that. And you say, how do you know that? Because the Bible is the word of God. Jesus Christ is God. He is the bridegroom. Well, Jesus is now on the planet. He's born of a virgin. He's there. And as we've been looking, all kind of great stuff is happening, right, to people because he's there. Now, again, please, please don't think of this as a nice story. Think about this happening 2,000 years ago, and he's healing people. And people who are possessed with demons, uh, they are being healed. And so Jesus basically says this. Um, being religious is not fun because they've been fasting for thousands of years. There's no, there's, no, there's no enjoyment, right, if you're a religious person. I'm going to address you religious people. You people are always trying to perform to get God's favor. Are you wear you out. It's no fun, is it? And then there's always kind of this deep-seated insecurity because you're asking yourself, have I done enough? Have I been the person I need to be? And you who are non-Christians, I'm telling you, a lot of Christians still, I mean, in this room, they struggle with it over and over. They quit looking to Christ and they start going, yeah, but hey, I really should be doing this and I should be doing that. And Jesus Christ is saying, listen, I'm here. I'm the reason that there's life and there's hope. Now, I'm just telling you that if you have met Jesus Christ, uh, you're beginning to discover he's enjoyable to be with. He's already met all the demands of the law, right? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Now, some of you are going to go, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Then that means I can do whatever I want to do. No. Okay, no, I'm not saying that. How do I know that? Because he gives this parable about the, 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 the patch on the old clothes... 
and putting new wine into old wineskins. What's the old clothes? The old clothes is religion. And if you could try to reform yourself. How many of y'all are trying to reform yourselves right now? Good luck. And so you're going to be better. Okay, I'm a Christian, so I need to be a better Christian. Jesus says, we're, not, we're done with that. All is new because of me. Because I'm going to tell you, everybody in this room, I, and I know y'all don't hear this much in sermons anymore, deserves the curse and wrath of God. You are a sinner through and through. And you know that down deep. And if you don't know that, you'll never come to Christ. But I'm going to tell you why he's enjoyable. Because I can always go to him and say, Lord, would you forgive me again? And he says, of course, I chose you. I've called you. So that's the first thing to say. Now, are you discovering that in your life, that he's enjoyable? Or are you just kind of an unhappy person because you really slide back into religion all the time? You're trying hard, you're trying to be good. And by the way, you're looking at the Pharisees, and they're miserable guys, right? We'll see this in a minute. But here's the second thing to say. Uh, you have discovered him as your ultimate rest. Now, we see this uh, in the second section that's here. It's a Sabbath day. And, uh, and he's going through the field with his disciples. And by the way, those guys were poor. And so they're always hungry. And uh, so here he is. Um, he's walking in a field, a grain field, it's on the Sabbath day. And you know, it's really interesting. Guess who else is there? All those religious people. The Pharisees. Now, why are they following him around? Because they're still bothered because of his liberty. Because he lives his life before the Father. Even though the Father is going to call him to be crucified on our behalf. They're, they're just hunting him down. They're, they're, they want to make sure. They're going to watch him until he makes a mistake and he breaks the law of Moses. And man, there they are. They're going, they're going through, the, through the grain fields. It's a Sabbath day and they start popping it off the grain. They're rubbing their hands and they're popping it in and they got you. You ever been around people that are got you people? I got you. Husbands and wife do that. Uh, uh. Well, if you're a gotcha person, you're a Pharisee. You're always spying everybody out. Hey, they did that to me. They did that to me. Jesus, he doesn't think that way. He's headed somewhere, and he knows where he's headed, and, uh, and he knows where he's headed on our behalf. He, he's, not, he's not a killjoy. And he's not saying anything to them about popping the grain. And, and, and eating the grain. And so basically they say, hey, you, you, you've broken the law of Moses. We got you. And Jesus does uh, interesting two things. First off, he says, uh, can I take you to a passage of scripture here? And he takes him to, to an Old Testament passage because he knew the Bible, right? He was the Bible, by the way, in the flesh. He says, yeah, you remember that time that David and his men were on the run from Saul and God had called David to be the king, but he's on the run and he's living in caves and they were wandering around. They didn't have any food. And so they go to Abiathar, the high priest, and there was the showbread, consecrated bread. And what does he do? He eats it and gives it to his men who are weary. Well, we have a parallel, don't we? The king overrules the high priest. And not only that, we have a king who's on the run, so to speak. We have a king who's come here, and now the same, same thing. He's in the wilderness on our behalf. Right? And so he points him to that. But then he says this. 
he addresses them, and he says two things are amazing. He says, guys, you have goofed up what the Sabbath is for. And by the way, religious people always goof up God's law, and it's a burden. It's not a joy. You got to do this, you got to do that. But he says, the, he says that, look, God didn't make man for the Sabbath. He made Sabbath for man. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, again, if you're an unbeliever here today, aren't you glad that you get one day at least of rest a week? And if you don't, you'll just get driven into the ground. So God gives the Ten Commandments. He gives like the Ten Commandments not as a, a, a fence to keep us out, but a fence to keep us in the playground and not wandering off. And so God gives us the Sabbath. So uh, you can take one day, and for Christians, it's one day, it's a rest, as a reminder of a rest to come. Every Sunday. We talk about that every Sunday, right? Hey, we screwed it up this week, but he's risen. And we can rest in Christ so we can begin this week, but one day there will be a Sabbath rest where there will be no more tear, no more sorrows, no more pain. And so he says, uh, you guys have really misinterpreted the law, not to mention the fact it didn't say, if you go back and look at us in Deuteronomy chapter 23, it just said you can put a sickle to it on Sunday. <laughs> in other words, they missed the intent of the law. In other words... We're not going to make other people work in the fields for you on Sunday. Yeah, but sure. I mean, the grain is there. Grab it. But then he says something very important here. And I want you to think about this if you're not a believer. And I want you to think about this if you're really wrestling with uh, whether Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. I want you to really wrestle. I want you to think about this. But he doesn't say, oh, by the way, I am Lord over the Sabbath. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. My dear friends, I'm going to tell you that everybody in this room is going to meet the Lord of the Sabbath. And it would be better to meet him now and to find rest in him because the word Sabbath means rest, a deep rest. And Jesus says to you who screwed your lives up, I mean, you so screwed your life up, you don't even know why you're here today because you think good people go to church. You all screwed your lives up really badly. I mean, really badly. Or maybe somebody's messed your life up. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. But what's amazing is how many people won't do that. I mean, it's just people passing by, and he's preaching, he's teaching. But you see, he's got to call you. And who's he going to call? He's going to call those who go, Lord, I deserve everything I'm getting. I know why I'm weary. I've screwed my life up so bad. And y'all done that? Well, he promises you rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. So you discover that he's ultimate rest. And, and I can tell you, as a pastor, I'm just telling you, I can only get in this pulpit every Sunday because I'm united to Christ and all his righteousness. Because God, I'm born again, and I know that God loves me still after Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. How about you? You're a sinner. I know you're a sinner. If you don't think you're a sinner, you never know Jesus. But the joy of resting in the finished work of Christ. I'm, this is the gospel. Well, here's one last thing here. You've discovered him as desirable to be with. If you don't enjoy being with Jesus, you probably don't know Jesus. You have discovered him as your ultimate rest. And finally, you've discovered him as the most genuine person you've ever met. I'll tell you what. 
That is really, really true. And maybe this is the most important point, okay? Uh, you remember a couple of weeks ago I talked about this uh, secular psychologist that went and studied the life of Christ and he's trying to figure, okay, just reading how his interactions with all the people. Because you got four Gospels, by the way. There's a lot of material to read. Well, I said, the psychologist said, psychiatrist said, this is the most balanced human being I've ever met. And we're going to see it right here in this last thing, and this is why he's so genuine. If you notice that last section, he comes, here we are on the Sabbath day, and, and he's in the synagogue, and guess who else is at the synagogue? The Pharisees. And of course, they're at the synagogue for two different reasons. But there's also another person who's at the synagogue, right? The man with the withered hand. And uh, y'all have heard me teach this before, but if back then you had some kind of disease or a withered hand or something was wrong with you, you know what was your sin? Obviously you screwed up. I think that's what religion does, right? You got what you deserve. And and so there he is. Uh, He's in the synagogue. And what's kind of interesting is uh, here's this man with this withered hand. And I kind of wonder, in a way, if they, they didn't already know that guy was there. You know, this poor guy with the withered hand, he comes in, uh, he comes in to, you know, to worship. Uh, and they come in there to critique. And so, but, but I want us to see the difference between the sons of Adam, that's us, and the son of God, and then we close. What are we as the sons of Adam like? Well, let's put it this way. <clears throat> we all want something authentic, don't we? Yeah, hey man, if I could just meet that pastor who is genuine, or if I could meet that person, that Christian who's genuine, or if I could, you know, authenticity. You know what? That always begs the question about what is the original, original. But rather than reflecting the original, who is God who's always faithful and good and just and righteous, the God of the Bible, theism, or whatever you want to call it. He's righteous and good, and, you know, but kind of, don't you know you're not so good, don't you? And so on Sunday mornings you come in here and rather than going, man, I need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need to have God to have mercy upon me. You critique the music. You critique the sermon. You critique uh, the air conditioning. You can't critique the carpet anymore because we just got a new carpet. <laughs> I used to critique the carpet. For y'all that didn't see it before, it was nasty. And so we know that we should, you know, we should be, um, we know we, we're not what we should be. But they weren't there to worship. They were there to catch Jesus again. And they're going to do it with this guy with a withered hand. And what you see uh, is ultimately incredible hardness of heart that's there. And the way you see that hardness of heart is, is you're looking at them. Uh, Jesus says, well, let me ask y'all a question. What, what's, uh, what's, uh, what's, uh, is, it, is it right to heal a man on the Sabbath? I mean, here's this guy's withered hand. They don't care about that guy. You ever notice how Democrats don't like Republicans and Republicans don't like Democrats? They're not in our camp, whatever it may be. <laughs> and, and so th- they're not concerned about this man. It says that they remain silent. And maybe the reason some of you remain silent, okay, is because you, 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 you consider yourself a bit of an agnostic. Well, maybe Jesus, maybe not Jesus. I'm just going to tell you, you can't really do that. You're going to look at this text. 
You have to go back to what C.S. Lewis said. Is Hey, you cannot just say, well, he's a good teacher. He's either a nut, right? He's a lunatic, or he's a liar, or he's the son of God. Well, they remain silent. And by the way, the most insincere thing you can do is remain silent when you're, you're like living in sin, right? You don't go to your wife and say, hey, I'm sorry. I, I, I did not do that. Would you please forgive me? Don't you think that's sincere? Versus remaining silent and justify yourself and condemn the other people. And I'm going to tell you, if you do that, and that is the pattern of your life, you do not understand the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I don't care how many sermons you hear me or John give or Matt or Justin or Jeff. It takes the Holy Spirit. Now, where do we see Christ's genuineness? And we'll close on this. We see it in verse 5. I want you all to look at verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger. And he was grieved at the hardness of their heart. You see the genuineness that's there? You know, sometimes it's good to be angry. There's no anger in heaven. You know why there should be anger here? It's because of injustice. Because of oppression. Sometimes you should be angered at your own oppression of others. Your own sin against others. Man, if you're not angry sometimes, it, what, you, know, you see something wrong, it's evil in the world, you're not angry. What kind of savior would we have? What kind of human being would Jesus Christ be if he were not angry about this situation? And yet, at the same time, he looks at them and he's grieved. Why? Because of the hardness of their heart. Somebody said this about a meek man. And Jesus was the meekest man that ever lived, but meekness is not weakness. A meek person is somebody who's always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. Because everything that Jesus did was for the sake of his Father and for us. And so when you begin to understand his genuine, genuineness and his, begins to, his life begins to seep into your life, then, then all of a sudden you're angry at the right thing and at the wrong thing, and, and you, you actually begin to have mercy and pity on your enemies. So I close by asking you this. Are you missing the forest because of the trees? Oh, I, Jesus Christ, Son of God, man, no doubt. You know, I believe that. But have you ever been in the forest and met the tree? Have you eaten and tasted and see that Jesus Christ is good? This is what it means to be born again of the Holy Spirit of God. To not be religious or irreligious. To not be naive or a cynic. But to be a man or woman who's made new. New wineskin. New wineskins for new wine. New clothes the righteousness of Christ, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time and your word. Thank you for these baptisms today. We pray for these children, these families. Father, give us the grace as the people of Redeemer to be salt and light to those who are living in darkness, even in our midst. 
So, Lord, would you move, would you work in the lives and hearts of people? Would you even cause people to be born again this morning? To see Jesus Christ for the first time in all his beauty and all his glory. And now, Lord, as we come to the Lord's table, we thank you that we can partake of you. And that in you is life. And so, Lord, we uh, pray for our time together as we, uh, as we commune with you and with each other. And we ask it in your name. Amen.